My name is Kaylin Blunt, and I'm in the 12th grade. Please join me in the prayer of illumination. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in holy scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The scripture lesson this morning is from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every, every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Nathan Johnson, and I am a senior. <laughs> I will see the bow in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you. This year's theme for Youth Sunday is covenant. But in the modern vocabulary, the word covenant is often misunderstood. Covenant now means a set of rules regulations, guidelines that one adheres to. But in the original Hebrew of today's text, the word used for covenant is berit. And berit can be loosely translated to mean pact, compact, or covenant. One of the definitions of berit is constitution or ordinance between monarch and subjects. And the operative word there being between. In the original meaning, a covenant is an agreement between two interested parties, usually with a mutually beneficial outcome. What's interesting about the covenant that God makes with Noah is that there's only one side that seems to benefit. Noah seems to gain the obvious benefit of knowing that he probably will not be flooded again, whereas God doesn't necessarily gain anything, not that it's immediately apparent. And this isn't the only one-sided covenant God makes. In Genesis 15, he makes a covenant with Abraham, saying, Your offspring shall be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Abraham gains a lineage longer than time itself. And what does God gain? Again, we're still not sure. These covenants that God makes with these Old Testament figures are purely out of graciousness, out of the graciousness and goodness of his heart, not out of expectation. These covenants that God makes 
are the chapters leading up to the prequels to our understanding of grace. The intention of these covenants that God makes can never be fulfilled, at least not on the human side. We can't keep up our end of the deal because that's simply not possible. There's no way that we can repay God for a lineage longer than we can possibly imagine and knowledge of not being destroyed. The covenants that God makes with these Old Testament figures lead up to the ultimate covenant that we all know, the covenant in the personage of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God gives us the covenant with us, saying, no matter what you have done, no matter what your transgression is, under no matter what the circumstances are, I will forgive you of your sins. And here is a person to bring that forth to you. Time and time again, God makes these covenants with us, expecting nothing in return. These are God's offerings to us. Through these, he shows us his love and mercy by giving us innumerable offspring, by giving us the promise of living without fear of destruction, and the knowledge of having our sins forgiven no matter what, and in return, expecting not a thing. That's all fine and dandy, but how do we apply that to our lives? We're not living in a time where we've just walked off a 40-cubic boat with all of our family and all the animals known on the planet. We aren't living in a time where we are charged with carrying on a lineage. We aren't living in a time where a Masonic messianic figures standing before us preaching truths we can't possibly imagine how do we apply this to our lives right now we have this knowledge and it is our charge and it is our duty not to become complacent in that knowledge God doesn't expect anything from us in return but it is our privilege to say to God we are thankful we are so eternally grateful for what you have given us that we are going to go out into the world. We are going to proclaim these covenants. We are going to service your church in thankfulness for what you have done for us. So friends, let us remember the covenants that God has made with us. From whom much is given, much is expected. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Caitlin Fay. I am also a senior. I'm going to start out today by asking everyone to visualize a few things. You can close your eyes if you want to, but you don't have to. Picture our world. Picture your house, your family, your friends. Do you see your joys? Do you see your worries? Picture Richmond, our city, our church, our home. Can you hear the rushing water of the James? Can you hear the voices of your brothers and sisters who have no home in this city? Picture this nation, this United States of America, this country under God. Do you feel the love and the bond we all share? And do you feel the strife, the pain, the heartache? Picture our world. Can you see the beautiful sunrise? Do you see the desperate families? Can you see the hungry children? Now look up. Do you see the rainbow? 
Even in the worst places and situations of the world, it is important to remember that God has not forsaken his people. Like the scripture says, God has made a covenant with all people. In the Bible story that was read today, he promises Noah he will never again flood the earth. But on a more relevant note to our lives, he promises never to leave us. A friend of mine shared with me a poem that describes this everlasting promise of God. I'm going to read it to you now. It's called, it's called Footprints, and many of you might have heard it before. One night, a man dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Scenes of his life flashed before him across the sky. As he watched, he noticed that there were two sets of footprints in the sand throughout his life. One set was his, and one was God's. He also noticed that at the saddest, lowest times of his life, there were only one set of footprints. This bothered the man, and he asked to the Lord, Did you not promise that if I gave my heart to you, that you'd always be with me? Then why did you leave me during my most troublesome times? The Lord replied, My precious child, I love you, and I would never forsake you. During those times of suffering, when there is only one set of footprints, I did not leave you. That is where I carried you. This story speaks very strongly to me. It introduces the concept of a God who is bigger than any of the problems we might face. He is not weak. The size of our world and our universe demonstrates well enough his holy power. He's not silent either, and he's certainly not just watching. He has not forsaken us. He is active and present in our daily life. Yes, God is in us and in our lives. I wanted to share with you a little bit of my experience with God's presence in us that I discovered on the youth mission trip to Guatemala three summers ago. Before tra traveling to Guatemala, I had the mistaken belief that God, though powerful, was much more distant than he was active in my life. This belief was immediately challenged when we arrived. On our first night in Guatemala, Emerson, our translator and spiritual guide, told us that we would still be able to see the face of God in the people and things we would be doing there. Only the face of God would be Mayan instead of what we might have seen before. We all thought this was an interesting thing, he said, to actually look for the face of God in those around us. Throughout the day, I found myself looking. It could have been anyone, maybe everyone, because they were all so happy and grateful. But for some reason, I couldn't quite find what I was thinking of. The leaders and the parents had a beautiful, huge love of God. There was no doubt about it. But I realized I was looking in the wrong place when I looked only among them. I forgot the children. An eight-year-old girl from the mom village captured my heart and mind during our visit to her home. Her name was Brenda, and I still vividly remember her face, even though it's been three years since I met her. Though she was much younger than I was, she acted as the elder by taking charge of me. Just the way she knew what she wanted for every moment, the way she pulled my arm over her shoulder when I didn't understand her Spanish directions so that we could walk arm in arm. She kept her hand reaching up to my fingers, a friendly gesture that immediately put me at ease, especially when I didn't know where I was going. I remember the way she never stopped laughing and playing with our cameras and sunglasses and her constantly teasing Mike, our youth leader. Her laughter and play made us all feel at ease in the foreign environment. And I felt like Brenda showed me God's face when I, at loss for words in my non-existent Spanish vocabulary, was just standing next to her, 
unsure how to communicate to her that we were leaving. And she put her hands out, and I, grinning, put mine on top of hers, and we played a game of slaps one last time. Her friendliness and joy in life made me so happy to be God's daughter and sister to everyone there. Another thing that we were all amazed by in Guatemala was the hospitality of the people we worked with. Many of the youth participated in homestays, and the stories people shared afterwards were amazing. My Mayan mother gave up an entire bed for Anna and I to sleep in, which meant that four people in the household that night didn't sleep in a bed. Another pair of youth was greeted with a couple of noodles for dinner as well as breakfast in an attempt of their host to make their experience seem a little more like home. They all had so little, but yet they didn't appear to be wanting. And the things they had, they eagerly gave up for us. In Guatemala, I saw the rainbow. I saw God in their lives, and I saw they didn't think God was a mean God or a silent God, even though they might not have very much or their lives might be harder than yours or mine. From their joy and their relationship with God, you could tell that they knew God had written their names on his palm, and he would never forget them. He was at work in their hearts, and they loved him and us without restraint. From my experiences on the trip, I can remember that God is the God of love. He loves us forever, and he will never abandon us. The rainbow is right there. All we have to do is look up. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your everlasting love and faithfulness. Please help us to look for the rainbow in our lives and in those around us. Amen.